Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the first day of November. I'm your host, Paul White, and I want to thank you for joining me. I want to remind you that this weekend I will be at the Tabernacle of Hope in Westminster, South Carolina. That starts on the 4th. That is this Friday, and it goes through the 6th. We'll be there Friday night and Saturday night, the 4th and the 5th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and then we will be there Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., Eastern Time. And we are usually about once a quarter we go with our friends at the Tabernacle of Hope and always have a wonderful time getting to hear what God's doing in their church and just share the good news. And so if you are in the area uh, or or traveling through the area, uh, check out my website, paulwhiteministries.com slash schedule and come be a part of it if you can. That's probably the last time I'll mention that this week because I have some work to do in the Apostles' Creed. Also, I want to announce that I am going to air for you a long-form Friday this week. We will break away from teaching the Apostles' Creed and air a long-form Friday that was a sit-down interview, and I will give you more information tomorrow and the next day. We'll tell you about it, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It's one we haven't released before, and it's one that's pretty fresh. So look forward to long-form Friday this weekend. Okay, we jump back into the creed today to try to finish the line. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We've spent the last few days talking about the love of God and the justice of God and what those look like. I haven't said a lot about the parsing the difference in the living and the dead, though we did read 2 Timothy 4.1 that tells us that Jesus come to, comes to do that. Old King James says quicken the dead. That's just an old word for, for alive. So the living and the dead are underneath his purview, underneath his judgment. Um, but we talked about the fact that we'll speak on he will come. And so let's land here. I don't think that we that that this portion of the creed needs to we need to obsess over this from an eschatological point of view and what i mean by that is the creed doesn't try to tell you when he comes it doesn't try to tell you what it will look like when he comes it doesn't try to give you prophetic language around when he shows up it is simply showing that Jesus is the judge. In a world in which we've thought of God as the judge, we need to transfer our theology over to Jesus being the judge. Because the creed could have said at the top of the creed, I believe in God the Father, the judge. But it saves the judgment of the souls of man for the arrival of Jesus. And it also positions it on the other side of the crucified, died, buried, and descended. It also situates it on the other side of the ascension enthronement of Jesus. His coronation has happened, and therefore Christ becomes the one who is the judge. And so that just justice is really only dreadful and fearful if we do not have justice on our side. But what we know in Christ is that our judgment, the judgment is on our side. We have heard our justice, seen our justice taken care of in Christ Jesus. We do not deserve a verdict of guilty because Christ has paid for us on the cross. And he who suffered, died, rose again, did it for our sake. And with that person becoming our judge, we know that the boundless love of God is joined with the justice of putting all things right. So whatever it looks like when he shall come, and we can 
We can posit eschatological arguments that Jesus came in judgment on that generation. I think Jesus himself told us that would happen in Matthew 24. If you had told the early church that he, he was coming but once, I, they, I don't think there's evidence they would have believed that because the Apostle Paul, he, Paul staked his life on the fact that he had seen Jesus twice that he saw Christ on the road to Damascus and he had Christ appear to him in Arabia and give him the new covenant. And he was bold enough to believe that that was absolutely true. He staked his life on the reality of that. So you'd have been hard pressed to tell the apostle Paul there was a singular event called the coming of the Lord. But for, for purposes of our understanding judgment, The creed declares that it's Christ that comes to judge the living and the dead. So whatever that looks like, I think we should see it as a consolation. John Calvin said it this way, Hence arises our wonderful consolation, that we perceive judgment to be in the hands of him who has already destined us to share with him the honor of judging. Far indeed is he from mounting the seat of judgment to condemn us, How could our most merciful ruler destroy his people? How could the head scatter its own members? No mean assurance this, that we shall be brought before no other judgment seat than that of our Redeemer, to whom we must look for our salvation. What a line. I'll close today by reading to you from Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. I actually want to read more than one verse. I want to read all through 16. Listen to Christ's arrival and the descriptiveness of that arrival. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Notice that he judges, but how? In righteousness. And his war is a righteous war. But what's that war look like? His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to point out a couple of things. This is what the arrival of Jesus looks like in Revelation 19. His robe is dipped in blood, but I say to you that the robe dipped in blood is dipped in his own blood, not the blood of his enemies. Because his followers are not covered in blood either. And they've come to him to this, they've come with him to this battle. They're not dipped in blood. Why are they not bleeding? Or why are they not covered in the blood of the enemies? The robe dipped in blood is his own blood. That's what makes him who he is. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And literally in the Greek, out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. The same phrase used in the letter to the Hebrews. The word of God is quick, sharp, more powerful than any two-edged sword. Notice that Jesus does not hold the sword in his hand which is where you hold a sword when you kill. His sword comes out of his mouth so that whatever striking he does, it comes from his spoken word. 
He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. In verse 15 is a mistranslation from the Greek. The Greek word for rule with a rod iron is, and I think the translators just thought it was too soft. It's the word shepherd. He himself will shepherd them. He will tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and on his robe and his thighs the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Kind of changes things, doesn't it? The Jesus that comes back is covered in his own blood. A sword comes out of his mouth, and he shepherds people. That's what you have to look forward to. Whatever you think the arrival of Jesus looks like, Revelation tells us it better look like that. More from the creed tomorrow as we move into, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. We'll see you then. God bless.